This episode of Thrash It Out is supported by you, and that is because we are a completely independent and unbiased show with no sponsors or advertisers, and instead we have a Patreon where you can support us directly and help keep the show on the air. Go to patreon.com slash thrash it out to pledge. This is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it. I'm Brian Latendry. And I'm Anthony Johnston, and today we are talking about Sacrifice by Motorhead. We most certainly are. I'm very excited to get into this album today. Yes, me too. Me too. 1995, this album. Um, And uh, I'll say right at the start, before we get into anything else, that this album was always on my volume two list. This is was always part of the the albums that I wanted to cover in volume two, but obviously with the recent very sad death of Lemmy, uh, I, I figured you know we had to bump it up to basically be my first choice in this new volume. So, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more when we go on the album. But I just wanted to reassure people that I would have chosen this album at some point anyway. Uh, we're just choosing it now because of his death being so recent. Yeah, and I'm glad you did because I, well, as we talk about sort of our, our history with this band, um, mine is probably not as extensive as yours. And so I hadn't really heard much of this album until we prepared for this episode. Yeah, which I'm actually, that's that's something that we haven't really covered yet on the show is a band that you are familiar with, but that you haven't really heard much of this particular album. I don't think that's actually happened yet. I think this might be the first time. So yeah, I'm... Uh, yeah, well, a band that you're familiar with and you like. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Point. No, that, that, you definitely clarified there. So yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> has have been bands clearly over the first volume and now as we get into volume two, where you and I are coming from completely different places and they're bands that we might even be kind of introducing each other to. Mm. Um, but with Motorhead, it, it, it would be impossible to not know of the existence of Motorhead during my heavy metal and rock listening career. It was they were just a band that I was never huge into, and I don't think I was super alone in that because the way that they hit in the states is so much different than the way that they hit, um, you know, over in England. And so it's I'm interested to kind of talk about our our histories with the band because my my introduction to Motorhead was absolutely Ace of Spades through MTV. Right, right, sure, yeah, which makes sense. Okay, so we'll get into that later. So first of all, uh, I want to tell people that we have some very exciting news about the Patreon. Uh, we are making a, a small change, but with big consequences. Um, so, and we'll, but we'll talk about that later. For now, uh, let us get into the feedback and follow up from you guys. Man, there has been a lot of feedback, and uh, I will say that if you are on Facebook and you have not checked out our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash group slash thrash it out, you are missing out on just tons of fantastic you know, conversation. But hit us up on Twitter, email us. We got, we got uh, sort of all of those things the last time around, but people were clearly happy to see the show back, and it was great to see the amount of response that we got. Um, so I'm going to read an email really quickly because this just came in the other day and I thought it was fantastic and really spoke to why we do this show. So a guy by the name of Eric from Worcester, Massachusetts, which is not far at all away from where I am, said, uh, sorry to email out of the blue. I heard you on The Incomparable. He's obviously talking about you, Anthony. Uh, I heard you on The Incomparable's recent album draft, which led to starting with Thrash It Out episode one. Uh, 
He said, I was born in 1970. White snakes still of the night open the door. Add Pink Floyd and Rush. Years later, Porcupine Tree and Opeth. Make Opeth the key. He put in parentheses, my favorite band. Uh, now, thanks to you and Brian, I am listening to bands I've only heard of, but never truly heard. Thank you both. And we went on to have a great sort of email conversation back and forth about, you know, him sort of coming to the show and, and being excited about the different episodes that we've done so far. And that, to me, is my favorite thing in the world to hear stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, that is, as we've said before, one of the reasons that we started the show was to highlight music to, well, you know, both to each other and also to listeners that they might not have heard before or might not have considered before, as you were just saying, bands that you might be familiar with, but you not haven't heard a particular record by them or something. Um, and uh, yeah, and just, you know, increase the uh, the breadth of listening amongst the community. Yeah, and then, you know, the, the reaction to the Def Leppard episode itself was, I would say, mostly positive and some yeah some mixed, interesting but mostly positive yeah I, yeah I would agree with that and so you had uh john himmelberger said that was his favorite def leppard album of all time uh kenneth white had a great response he said i just got through listening to the podcast glad to have you back i'm not gonna lie though when i first saw the album choice my heart sank and then i realized that even though i was a huge leopard fan when i was 13 i'd never gone back to listen to any of it since the mid 80s and here was the perfect wow. chance he said, man, that sentence made me feel old, uh, <laughs> which we had a great thread about that, too. If you want to see how yeah. old a bunch of us are on the, uh, on the Facebook page. Oh, is that page, the, the 30th anniversary of Master of Puppets? Yeah. No, it was even before that. Somebody wrote, oh, like, okay. you know, born in 1981 or something. And I was like, oh, oh no, that's you right. Be kidding yeah, me. Yeah. Um, just it's a bunch of old guys around there. But uh, he said, the thing that surprised me the most was that I didn't remember any of the songs apart from Bringing on the Heartbreak. He said, there have been some fist clench singing along when I knew no one was watching. <laughs> he said, I don't think I'd be coming back to this, but it was interesting to dig it out again, looking forward to the Motorhead album. Uh, and he also said, I have Pyromania lined up to give it a listen when I get the time. That's something else I'd never expected to have happen. And for me, like my response immediately was mission accomplished. Like yeah. that, that was exactly the point of that episode was to, um, obviously to appeal to people who are actually fans of Def Leppard's early stuff. But for those who only knew them as the band who put out Hysteria, because that's when they became bigger than, you know, everything at the time, um, to go back and listen to some of their roots because there was some really, some really good stuff back there. So, um, other people on that thread, uh, John Himmelberger made a great point. He said, it's harder for new fans to discover uh, Def Leppard's early stuff when the first three albums are not available to stream on Apple Music or Spotify. Oh, that doesn't help, no. No, and you mentioned that that's the problem with streaming services. Until all the yeah. albums are there, you're sort of... Until every album is available on every streaming service, then... I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm still not a streaming customer. You know, I am... As we've established before on the show, I am quite old and I am old-fashioned enough that I like owning my music, even if it's in the form of MP3 files. Um, the idea that I might want to go to listen to an album one day and suddenly it wouldn't be there anymore, you know? That suddenly right. the license would have expired and I couldn't listen to it anymore, even though I had been paying to listen to it for the past two years or whatever. That 
just that would have me i'd burn down the world i'm like no that's you can't do that i can't understand how these people it must be so frustrating for people who subscribe to like netflix and they're in the middle of watching a tv series and then suddenly they lose the license hang on a second right no that happened with doctor who recently where where yeah, the doctor yeah. who episodes in the states you know stopped appearing on there and and don cardina said i think it's a rights issue and the band re-recorded a bunch of stuff at one point to have it on itunes and i think that they did um, when they had their residency in Las Vegas. I think for a year they re-recorded. They recorded a lot of the stuff that they played live, and they put that stuff out on some of the streaming services. But yeah, I found it very frustrating. I actually had to. I had that CD for so many years, high and dry, and then for whatever reason I lost track of it. I had to go to my local music store and, and order a copy through them because the the MP3s just weren't out there. Right. Um, so that was a little bit frustrating. And for me, the streaming stuff, like I have Amazon Prime, but I have it for very different reasons. I just get to have Amazon Music as part of what I'm already paying for. And so what I've used it for is sort of a way to scout new material that I haven't familiarized myself with. Like when people on our Facebook page or on Twitter send me a recommendation, I'll go and check Amazon right. Prime for that kind of stuff. And then if I dig it, I'll just buy the album. Well, and I, you uh, posted on the Facebook page just this a uh, couple of days ago from when we were recording about uh, you found a load of old Halloween albums yes. on uh, Amazon Music. <laughs> uh, Phil Toretto said, quote of the show, and this is something I said, I said, you know, the longer we do this show, the more I realize that music basically died after 1990. And he was in agreement with that. But you, of course, pointed out that, in your opinion, 1994 was the best year of metal ever. Um, right. So 94, and, 94, 95, so basically summer of 94 through to summer of 95, it, probably my favorite metal albums of all time were all released. So, so, what, so what are a couple of those, just in case people don't have that? Well, we've actually covered two of them, and that was Icon from Paradise Lost mm-hmm. and Turn Loose the Swans from My Dying Bride. There you um, go. This album that we're about to talk about, Sacrifice by Motehead, was also released during that right? period. Uh, yeah, that was early 95, I believe. I think... Uh, Astro Creep 2000 was around that time as well. Uh, and so was, I think, Demanufacture from Fear Factory and just an incredible, oh, and um, Wolverine Blues Entombed, just an amazing, amazing time for uh, that era of metal. Uh, and that is, you know, sort of overall, that is my favorite era of metal historically. So, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, that was the absolute pinnacle. Uh, Don Cardenas said, I'm not a Def Leppard fan or hater. This album really doesn't sound that much different to me than the poppier stuff, though I never minded that stuff. Regardless, this will fit well on a summer day grilling in the backyard, Uh, (laughs) which I thought was super interesting because for me, like early Def Leppard and Hysteria Forward are like two entirely different bands, much like for me, Metallica uh, through Injustice for All and then Metallica from Black Forward, very different bands to me. And so it's interesting to hear that you know, in his experience, that stuff all kind of blends together. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, I think that's what happens sometimes when you come to a band after they've already made the transition as well. I, you know, I you, think you're right. Yeah, if you come to, if you if you're with a band during that transition, it can be quite jarring. But if you come to a band and they've already been through it, then you're looking at it more as a sort of as a whole entity. And I think it's maybe easier to see the similarities rather than just be shocked by the differences. 
Uh, Andrew Salmon said, sorry to say that I haven't become a Def Leppard convert. I was pleasantly surprised by the sound in comparison to the Hysteria era stuff, but I think I've come to it a little too late to really get on board. I suspect I'd come to, if I'd come to it as a teen, listen to it in the car with my buddies while cruising around semi-rural suburbia, I'd probably defend it to the death. And he said, cough, meatloaf, cough. But he <laughs> said, but from where I'm sitting now, the mix of ACDC light and to be honest, what feels to me to be standard 70s U.S. stadium rock it just makes it feel a little derivative and weedy, um, which I thought was an interesting take on that. And well, but, the thing you the thing you don't know that I know about Andrew is that he is a, a Kiwi who now lives in London, so he's not looking at this from an American perspective. Well, and I could see how he would also be looking at it then through ACDC exactly. sort of lenses. Yeah. yeah, which if you, I kind of approached it the exact opposite way. Like I saw, I saw Def Leppard <laughs> as sort of like taking what they loved about ACDC and, and sort of taking it in a little bit different direction. But I could totally see how if you, if ACDC was your point of reference, they kind of right, look like yeah, a watered down yeah. version of that. Um, which is just to me so interesting that we, the different lenses that we see through. Um, Scott Hall said, agreed, I never liked them, never will, not metal in any sense of the word in my opinion, so I'm not sure why they made it onto this podcast. I do like a lot of different music, just to mention it, but Def Leppard just doesn't do anything for me. Um, and I get that. I think that the definition that we have of metal is, well, the definition that I have of metal is very broad. And I was going to put, and I think I will put on the Facebook group page, uh, I've mentioned a couple times the documentary series that Sam Dunn had did, the Metal Evolution series, oh, yeah. where he sort of takes an anthropological approach to metal, its roots, the different genres, and sort of where it all came from and where it all sort of is today. And I want to say it, this show finished up in around 2013 or something like that. So certainly there may have been, have been developments after that, but the way that he approaches metal as a genre is pretty much the way that I look at it as well. And so he goes all the way back to, you know, very early stuff, um, early metal music in the sixties and seventies from cream Hendrix, you know, um, obviously Led Zeppelin, stuff like that. He goes to shock rock, prog metal, glam metal, um, new wave of British heavy metal, pop metal, you know, quiet riot, Van Halen, white snake, that kind of stuff. So he, the way that he breaks it down to me is fascinating. And right. I do consider all of those bands, if not always necessarily metal themselves, very closely connected to the roots of metal. And there's just so many connections. And that's one of the most fascinating things for me and us doing this show is I get super nerdy about like guys that have played in different bands and who have played different genres of music. You know, we talked about Def Leppard. Vivian Campbell, who is a member of Def Leppard now and has been since the early 90s, he just released an album with the original uh, Dio musicians. Oh, and unfortunately, right. Jimmy Bain just passed away, but it was Jimmy Bain, uh, Vinny Apice, and Vivian Campbell with a new vocalist. They formed a band called Last in Line, and their first album just came out, and it's fantastic. It's the last thing that Jimmy Bain ever did. But Vivian Campbell was in Dio, which is one of the greatest metal bands of all time, in my opinion. He was in, um, where did he go after? Oh, Whitesnake and a bunch of other stuff and then ended up in Def Leppard. So just to see a guy like him and what he's done and where he's been and where he's at now um, is fascinating to me. And that mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons that I like all of these different connections between rock and metal. And we'll probably always have bands that maybe fall a little bit more towards the rock uh, end of the spectrum that I bring well, to the show. 
And, you know, even modern bands aren't exempt from that because when we did the Within Temptation show, you know, some of the feedback we got to that was people saying like, oh, this isn't really metal. Why is this on the show? And, you know, we had to put our foot down there and say, well, no, it is. You know, this counts. Uh, it may not be the Defiled or Napalm Death or, you know, whatever, sure. but it is still within the metal family. Um, you know, it, metal is a broad church, as I've said many times before. And actually, along those lines, I just want to mention, I'm not going to name him because the email was sent like sort of directly to me. Uh, but a listener, another listener came to this show after li- hearing me on the incomparable album draft, which incidentally is now fully published. And that's episodes 288 and 289 of the incomparable. Um, and, uh, came over to the show, looked at the website and went, Oh, great. And it was two of my favorite albums and immediately listened to the Queensryche of Megadeth episodes. And then mailed me and went, I can't listen to this anymore. I can't listen to you destroying my favorite <laughs> albums. Are you anymore. sure that wasn't my friend, John? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I apologized. And I said, look, you know, those were like my two least favorite albums of the entire volume. And I pointed him at the Sister Sin and Dio episodes. So I hope he has forgiven us and that he's listening to this. Uh, as I say, I'm not going to name him, but if he is listening, hello, and, you know, please do stick around. Like but I say, Metal Broadchurch. <laughs> that is such a great point because, again, those are probably my two, other than the Dio one, my two your favorites, favorite right? Your favorite albums, yeah. <laughs> so my two favorites are your two least favorites of yeah. last time around. <laughs> but my thought, and I know yours is as well, is that if the, – the hope is that people get exposed to music that they didn't really either get into before or maybe didn't know about before and at least give it a shot. And you might not like it, and that's totally cool. But, but at least you've given it a shot. You've yeah. given it a shot. And, you know, I, I mention the three-listen rule all the time. And, and boy, when we talk about this Motorhead album, like, I lived in this album for a month. Excellent. Um, so I've probably listened to it at least 35, 40 times by now over wow. the past month. But, um, wow. But yeah, for me, like the three listen rule, like I will give you three good, solid, full listens of an album before I even form a real opinion about it, which is why I haven't said too much about the new Anthrax, though it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> and we've talked a little bit about Megadeth, but boy, there's there's some great stuff out there. But yeah, so like, just give it a chance. And we, we have a very, as you mentioned, it's a broad church, so you'll see more of that as we go forward, I'm sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on, uh, I want to quickly welcome our new patrons since our last episode. They are Phil Toretto, Brendan Cale, uh, Bruno, just Bruno, uh, Andrew Salmond, who you mentioned, and Jason Anderson. So thank you all uh, for helping support the show. Anybody else wants to support it, uh, of course, you can go to patreon.com slash thrash it out. And here is the reason that you might want to do that now, because uh, as we've said before, part of our aim with This show has always been about building a community around our shared love of metal. We may not always agree on which metal, (laughs) but we stand by each other regardless, you know, us against the world, united by uh, a love of distortion pedals and very loud amplifiers. (laughs) Um, And that, as we've said before, is one of the reasons that we moved to this new schedule for volume two, because you told us overwhelmingly that the feedback section of each show is important to you. So, you know, that's why we do it. it's also why we started the Facebook group after a few people said, you know, hey, this will be a good idea. So we were like, oh, okay. And it has been uh, a great success. The community there is growing all the time. We've had some great conversations. We continue to have great conversations and we look forward to more. However, we, we've we come to realize that the Facebook group kind of steps on the toes of the Patreon a little. Um, now, we know that most 
of you out there are happy to just support the show, and that is fantastic. Thank you. Nevertheless, we feel a bit bad that the single reward we offer on the Patreon, which is asking us questions for the Hangout shows, is no longer quite so special because we are now chatting to people on Facebook as well. So, you know, what to do? Well, we could close down the Facebook group, but you know, no. Uh, I mean, if nothing else, many of the new patrons among you joined the group first and then later later became patrons. So we have to figure that the group is helping convince people to support the show, and obviously that is very valuable. Um, so, well, we could refuse to answer questions there, but that would be silly. I mean, you know, that just kills the conversation immediately. It defeats the purpose of building a community in the first place. So rather than being exclusionary, we have decided to go in the complete opposite direction and be even more inclusive. So here it is. Drum roll. From now on, patrons will also get to choose one album per volume for us to talk about. This excites me. Yeah, we'll still do the Hangout shows and we'll still answer patron questions on those shows because it's not like we don't really do Q&A sessions on these regular shows. So that's still a thing. But once per volume of the show, we will have a patron-only poll where patrons get to nominate an album for us to cover, and we will select one of those albums from the nominations at random. Um, and uh, and then do it, you know, at some point during the uh, volume that we're currently in. So we're going to start that. By the time you hear this, actually, no, it probably won't be, because I'm going to put this out fairly quickly. So, But it'll be out soon. On I'm going to mail... The patrons as soon as we finish recording this show. So if you're a patron, you should have had an email about this by now already. And I will soon open a thread on the Patreon page. So if you want to get in on that, go and pledge now. Um, and uh, and you can, you know, make your selection. And uh, we will cover one album that listeners have nominated at some point during Volume 2. So, yes, very exciting. Yeah, I'm excited about that because it gives people a chance to nominate an album that we might not otherwise pick to uh, exactly, to have exactly. us cover. Um, although, with the taste that people have had so far on the show, I'm, I'm sure we'll probably get to some of those picks eventually. But I do love the idea that people will have an opportunity to uh, to to sort of help guide one episode of the show and and give their favorite album that maybe no one else gives a lot of props uh, a chance to get heard on the show. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yes, that's all very exciting. Again, the address is patreon.com slash thrash it out. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see you over there. And now, uh, yeah. Sacrifice by Motorhead. Um, I mean, everybody knows Motorhead, don't they? You know, it's like, <laughs> I think you know the name, even if you don't know the band. And I think that right. is sort of a testament to the fact that if well, you can't really talk about rock and heavy metal without talking about Motorhead at some point, because well, they're they're enormous influence. I mean, that's the other we we talked about this before about um, you know uh, bands sort of telling uh, their fans who's influenced them, you know, and then their fans going out and buying records by those influencers, and that was you know Motorhead influenced so many people in the early thrash days that, yeah, you must have heard of them, if nothing else, just because Metallica wouldn't shut up about them for, a, you know, a year or two back then. <laughs> You're, I'm so glad you mentioned that, because that two things I wanted to say about that, that's one of the reasons that, that we talk about, you know, bands that are all over the spectrum as well, because when you look at some of the influences that some of the bands that we grew up loving and listening to that we consider to be hardcore metal, when you look at who influenced them, often they're not bands that you would traditionally think of as metal. I think right. you could certainly make the argument that that Motorhead 
depending on which album and which song you're listening to, is as metal as it gets, and sometimes as rock and roll as it gets. But you mentioned that people talk about how big of an influence they are. Uh, I was watching the Behind the Music for Motorhead last night, and you had Dave Grohl, you had Lars, of course, you had Duff McKagan. You basically all had them saying that none of this exists today without Motorhead. Uh, Rob Trujillo, who's Metallica's bassist, said, there is no Metallica without Motorhead. Um, Lars was, as you mentioned, a huge flag waver for Motorhead over here in the States before metal fans really knew what Motorhead was all about. Because again, our exposure to them was limited. And at the time that this album came out, they had been doing that for 20 years at this point in time, um, which is just absolutely mind-blowing. But I I was thinking about More than 20 years, actually. By the time this album came out, Motorhead had been around for almost 30 years. Their first album, I think, was 1976. So right. I don't know what I'm saying. Sorry, it's 20 years. Sorry, not 30 right. years. Right, yeah. So, but they had a 40-year <laughs> career. So they're, right, they're not right. even at, yeah. the ha- they're at the halfway point at the time that we're sort of uh, experiencing. We're talking about them, and yeah. they were already a legendary band by that point, yeah. Legendary. Absolutely legendary. If, if not in the mainstream record industry, most certainly in, in rock and metal fans' minds, especially you know, uh, outside of the States. And then this is, by this time, they've they've achieved a level of success in the States where they are, you know, pretty well known. But it, I was thinking about them as I was listening to them, because as I mentioned, my history with Motorhead is not as extensive. And I listen to them now, and I immediately think of like 10 or 15 different bands that I recognize that sound in that came from the influence that Motorhead had on them. And I'll talk about that when we go into specific songs later on. But sure. They, they to me are a root band. You listen to them, right, right, and you yeah, hear yeah. the roots of other bands in the music that Motorhead is playing. And so I just kept having that vision in my head of like, man, so many bands that I grew up listening to have their roots in what Motorhead was doing. Um, and they've been called Godfathers of Thrash um, because of of some of the speed that they played with in their early days that was just blowing people away. Right. They certainly back, have been back then in the seventies. They played faster than almost any other rock band. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you listen to that stuff now, and it doesn't to us. It doesn't seem that fast because you know we then had Napalm Death and Slayer and Metallica and you know all these bands that do play at a million miles a minute. Um, but yeah, back in the mid to late seventies, the speed of something like Bomber or Ace of Spades was incredible. You know, you'd almost never heard anything like it before. No, and they're a band that I feel like when you see them live, everything makes sense. Because yeah. they're not a band who, in in my mind, had fantastic production value on most of their albums. When you listen to a lot of their stuff, it is, it's like a cacophony. It's, it's just overwhelming, <laughs> yeah. which is the way that they wanted it and the way right, that they yeah, wanted yeah. to present themselves. But you, you, when you see them play live and you feel the energy of what they do, it is... Uh, it, it is a life-changing experience as far as being a uh, a music fan. Um, and well, it certainly was forget, for me when I saw them. Right. Let's not forget that Motorhead were the band, and I assume this was Lemmy, but I don't know for sure, that invented the tagline, everything louder than everything else. <laughs> Which is know? the most metal thing ever said, right? Yeah, I mean, and just tells you everything you need to know about their attitude, you know. Um, I remember very famously, when they first became a thing in the UK, which was very early in their career because people already, because of course, Lemmy coming out of Hawkwind, uh, you know, people already knew Hawkwind in the UK. And then they made such a huge splash with Ace of Spades um, in the UK anyway, 
that there were actually there was a lot of media coverage, like mainstream media coverage of Motorhead for a period. And one of the things that Lemmy often said in those early days and very famously was quoted for was saying um, that Motorhead were the dirtiest rock band in the world. And if they moved in, if they moved in next door to you, your lawn would die. I read that and <laughs> almost peed my pants. I was laughing so hard. He, by the way, one of the most quotable uh, personalities in the oh, history sure. of yeah, music. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I, I just pulled like five or six quotes from interviews to, to talk about here, but I will tell you right now, you could for days, you could just read every interview that Lemmy ever did has at least one quote in it that you can just put in your back pocket. Oh, and yeah. He knew how to turn a phrase. It's unbelievable. Here, here's just a couple. Uh, he says, I didn't get into this to be a legend. I get into it to be in a band. If being a legend ties my hands behind my back, then I'll get out of it altogether. And this was t- 20 years ago that he was right, Because yeah. people are like, oh, you're a legend. Uh, he, they say, someone asked him around the time of this, because keep in mind, they're 20 years into their career when this album comes out. Uh, someone asked him, you know, why do you keep doing this? You've been doing it for 20 years now. And he says, because I'm pissed off. And they yeah. said, well, what are you pissed off about? And he says, about injustice. He said, if you're not pissed off in the world today, there's something wrong with you. He said, complacency. Go, go die of that. He said, bad heart, watching TV, being a couch potato, clicking the channels to something nice and easy to watch. He says, that's what'll kill you. And so he he just always had that. Even when he looked tired and even when he looked sick and he looked down, there was still that fire. Mm, and yeah, yeah. inevitably, if an interviewer sat down with him for more than a couple minutes, they were going to tap into that fire because he just, it was always right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was an angry man, you know, uh, and rightly so. <laughs> you know, this is what always cracked me up with, uh, you know, Lemmy had this famous obsession with uh, Nazi memorabilia and the Second World War. And, you know, people used to get the wrong end of the stick so often yep. and think that he was some kind of Nazi sympathizer. And if you listen to the guy for 30 seconds or, you know, look at the lyrics of any of his songs pretty much, but certainly any of the songs about war, it is quite clear that he was not some kind of sympathizer. He did not glamorize war. He certainly was not, you know, did not share beliefs with the Nazis or fascists. Quite the opposite. Um, Yeah, it's, uh, he was so clearly a kind of uh, angry at the, as you say, injustice of, you know, the world in general and the abuse of power and authority that we see all over the world, the mendacity, the venality of politicians, you know, for God's sake, go and listen to Orgasmatron. Um, how can you not see that? And of course, that's fantastic fuel for metal music. Absolutely. Uh, everything that we love, the bands that we grew up listening to for their anti-establishment ways is espoused in everything that Lemmy basically says yeah, when yeah. you when you hear him talk he, there was and, and again as you mentioned you know he just I'll, I'll pull another quote from record collector magazine again this is around the same time that sacrifice came out one of the the guy that was interviewing him said do you get fed up with interviews like this and Lemmy said i don't mind him when it's friends but the general eight question person yes I thought that was one of my favorite quotes right, of all time yeah. because obviously you as someone who gets interviewed all the time about comic stuff and and you know things like that the general eight question person and that's such a 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's I, just absolutely perfect for, you know, these sort of canned interviews that when you're in the PR cycle for something, you have people coming to you asking you the same questions over and over again. And most of the time, those people are not familiar with your work. They are very, they have a very passing familiarity with your work and they're trying to. Sometimes not even that. They're just ticking boxes. They're like, okay, we've got to do this. You know, here are our standard interview questions. Right. And it's like the, how did you get into comics, Anthony? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> tell me why, tell me why you wanted to get into comics. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. And I he refer said, you to the 3000 of my previous interviews. <laughs> yeah. And so Lemmy says, I chewed someone's head off in Paris yesterday or the day before. He said, I got a hold of them by the throat. And, and the interviewer says, well, what did they ask you? And he says, they asked me about the new drummer. He's been in the band for three years. Right, yeah. He said, and these new guitarists, they've been in the band for 11 effing years. That's four longer than Eddie Clark. He said, obviously, the guy was stuck in the Ace of Spades promo party. The last thing which bores me with our back catalog, I'm stuck with Ace of Spades. I like the song, but I'd like it a lot more if it wasn't a millstone around my neck. In America, they go, hey, dude, Ace of Spades, and they probably weren't even born then. Uh, and, the, and the guy <laughs> says to him, but, you know, it's a song that people identify Motorhead with. And Lemmy said, well, I wish they'd listen to another song or two off of the, other than that one. That alone would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> so well, that it's was, like we said about um, uh, Typo Negative uh, with um, Johnny Kelly, the drummer who replaced um, their original drummer, Sal... Uh, I don't know how you say his last name, Abruciante. I'm not uh -huh. sure. I probably completely mangled that. I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, he joined the band in like 1995. And right up until Pete Steele's death, he was still being referred to as the new guy. John you know, Bush and Anthrax. The new drummer. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's, yep. uh, you know, unfortunately, it's really difficult to get away from that. Jason Newstead. I mean, and not, you know, God knows, Cliff Burton, without Cliff Burton, we would not have the Metallica that we have today. And a lot of the retrospectives about Master of Puppets that are going on at the moment make that very clear. But at the same time, Jason was in that band longer than Cliff was, you know? And yep. yet, even by the era of like Reload and stuff, he was still the new guy. He was still the kid in the band. Yep. Yeah, it's always interesting. Because again, as you talked about before, a lot of it depends on when people come to the band. You know, there was people who were, who might have encountered sacrifice in 1995 and and did not realize that this band had been around for 20 years already. <laughs> right, <laughs> but, which is which is more than a decade longer than most bands lasted, or and still today last. So right, when you yeah, talk yeah. about a band that has a 40 year career and are yeah. considered to be such a root band for all of these other bands, like it's impossible to not see their fingerprints all over the sounds of bands that we all have in our top 10, you know? Well, and that's particularly sort of interesting for me because, uh, talking about how we got into them, I, I got into Motorhead pretty early. In fact, um, thanks largely to my father that I, who I've mentioned before, you know, he's, he's not an extreme metal guy, but he likes a bit of rock music. Uh, and he had several Motorhead albums in his collection. And I used to raid his collection when I was young. Yep. Um, that's how I got into stuff like Genesis as well. Uh, but he had No Remorse, which is the compilation album that also has a couple of original tracks uh, on the end, including Killed by Death, which is my absolute number one favorite Motorhead track. Uh, I think he had Bomber, Another Perfect Day, Orgasmatron. That might have been it, possibly. But I mean, you know, it was like it was a fairly good selection of the early stuff. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, sort of late 70s, 
80, 81, 82, that kind of era. Uh, and I was listening to this stuff in, I w- this would have been in about 83, I'm thinking. I probably sort of started getting, yeah, I was about 10 or 11 when I started getting really into listening to Motorhead because I'd already st- been listening to Sabbath, who, again, my father helped me get into um, by that point. And this was a couple of years after Ace of Spades. And everybody knew Motorhead in the UK. Everybody knew Motorhead from Ace of Spades. Like, I mean, and I mean literally everyone, you know, even, uh, you know, my auntie knows who Motorhead are. You know, she knows who Lemmy is. She probably doesn't know anything else about him. Probably doesn't even know he's dead. But she knows, you say, Ace of Spades, you go, oh, Lemmy, Motorhead. Yep. It's just, it's like Doctor Who over here. You just know it, you know? Well, Um, that was my, you know, introduction as well on like the Headbangers Ball, you know, rotation. Right. Right. So, so I already knew Motorhead in that sense, but I, I, like everybody else, I only knew Motorhead, Lemmy, Ace of Spades. That was all I knew. And then, as I say, I started raiding my father's record collection a bit more and started listening more to the Motorhead stuff. And that was when I really got into them. So the, the reason I mention this is because the band Motorhead as a band hadn't even been around for 10 years when I started getting really into them. So all of this evolution through the late 80s, the early 90s, where they tried to go a bit commercial, it failed, and the sort of, you know, grunge threatened to kill them off, and then they, you know, survived that and what have you. And even then, the sort of decline and rebirth in the late 90s, uh, sorry, early 2000s, and then late 2000s to recent years, all of that I've been following as somebody who was already into them rather than coming to it around 95 or even later than that. So it's been really interesting. I only mention it. So it's been really interesting uh, that they had a 40 year career, but I managed to get in on it fairly early. So I have actually watched Motorhead evolve over the years. And it's been really interesting seeing new people discover the band and come to them a bit later and seeing, as you say, like the different things that attract people to them in those different eras of the band. For sure. And for me, I was someone who sort of dipped my toe into Motorhead at different points during that 40-year span. So I would hear a song here or there. I might pick up an album. uh, I would listen to it. I would enjoy it. But they were never like really in my heavy rotation until I saw them in... I think the first time I saw them was not until 2003. So I saw them with Anthrax at a small place called the Worcester Palladium, who our new listener Eric probably uh, knows if he lives in that area. So I saw them at the Worcester Palladium with Anthrax, and that was a game changer for me. And I had seen dozens and dozens of... I mean, I've seen a ton of metal shows, and so I had seen so many different bands play. and, And But man, the first time I saw Motorhead... I'll never forget, Lemmy came up on stage, and the first thing that he said is, we are Motorhead, and we're going to clean your clock. And then they just played for however long their set was, and completely destroyed. And I was just blown away by that. Uh, they were just absolutely unbelievable. So for well, me, like seeing point, them live was crazy. Right, and by that point, this lineup actually, the lineup that was effectively on this album, this album was effectively a three-piece. Officially, right. Wurzel, the second guitarist, is on it. But by all accounts, he he didn't actually play much on the album, if at all. I think he's officially, people credit him with one solo. Uh, you know, some people have said that he did more, but he clearly didn't do a lot. So this was effectively a three-piece album. And then that was the lineup that basically stayed, remained stable from 95 right through until the end of last year when Lemmy died. Yep. Um, so you were seeing them 
seven years into that lineup, I guess. So they must have been pretty established and tight by that point. Oh, super, super tight. And and almost no time between songs. Like, it was right. just one <laughs> after... Talk about getting your money's worth. Yeah, Lemmy was never one for crowd banter, really. <laughs> no, and he, but there's such a... And it's so funny because it's such a cheesy movie, but I just think of the... You know the movie Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze? Yeah, yeah. The the scene where the the guitarist is and I can't remember his name and I apologize but who he's playing and there's like a chicken wire fence in front of the stage and people are just smashing beer bottles off of the stage as this guy's playing and he just continues playing like when I think of Motorhead I think of that I think of like right. the ultimate dive bar band who just get up and play whether it's one person or fifty thousand people and they just play hard loud music and that's what they do and yep. and that that to me like the consistency with which they performed recorded put out music like it's just mind-boggling and and lemmy did not change for anyone nope no absolutely not he was uh he was a very bloody-minded man he knew what he wanted to do and you know was determined to do it and you know frankly a lot of the reason that they kept putting out albums was because they had to because yep. they you know were never a sort of multi-million selling mega rich mega financially successful band you know they had to keep recording in order to keep making money but they um, could have been if they wanted to you know, listen to producers or, or go right. down that road because, right. because when we, I mean, when you think about all the bands that we've talked about to this point in this show, how many of them have a period of their musical career where they completely changed their sound or they followed a trend or they tried to get more mainstream success? Almost all of them. You know, most of the bands that we talk about at some point tried to go after that. Mm -hmm. And some of them found it, and some of them didn't, and went back to whatever they were doing before. Motorhead is just a straight line. Well, not entirely. There was a period, funnily enough, actually, almost directly before Sacrifice, uh, the album March or Die was very much their attempt to uh, be a bit more commercial, because 1916 had been very commercial. Uh, sorry, had been very successful. And so they tried to sort of, okay, you know, let's do another one like that and try and make a bit of money. And that was the time when uh, Lemmy wrote some songs for Ozzy for the Hellraiser soundtrack and things like that. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> this is what cracks me up. If you listen to March or Die, it's not Motorhead's best record. But you listen to it and you're like, wait, this? This was their attempt to like sell out? <laughs> <laughs> right. That, well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I, I get that they, they didn't know how to sell out exactly, even when they wanted yes. to. <laughs> exactly. Like, it, that's exactly what I'm talking about is that, like, his version of chasing a trend or selling right. out is like a, barely a blip on the radar of some. We talk about Queensrike, we talk about Metallica, we talk about Def Leppard, we talk about these bands that made, in, in many cases, a, a complete left turn right, from right, what yeah. you knew their sound to be. If this is Motorhead selling out, like yeah <laughs> you're pretty fortunate well, not, as a not this album fan. but yeah so march or die that era it was actually right it was the failure of march or die that then kind of reinvigorated them because wasn't that their last album with bronze was it i, I think it might have been yeah I, yeah because i think I th sacrifice was an was an independent um yes i believe it was um because yeah they they made march or die it really wasn't very successful uh and so 
to sort of, to sort of stick two fingers up to the world, they made Bastards, their next album, which is originally going to be called Devils. I'm not entirely sure why they changed the name, but you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, and Bastards was was a really good album, like a really good album. Like I I almost could have chosen that to talk about here. Uh, I didn't for various reasons that we'll get into when we go track by track, but Bastards is a really, really great album, great return to form. And it was their first album with Mickey D, the new drummer. Who came over from King Diamond. Right, right, and had also played with Don Dokken. And Mickey D is a really incredible, talented, skilled drummer. Unbelievable. Uh, But one of the things I love about him, like he didn't play on March or Die. He's on the band photos on the CD, you know, on the album sleeve, but he didn't actually play on it. Um, and with Bastards, you kind of got the feeling that he was not rocking the boat, you know, that he was just playing like Motorhead um, because they were trying to get their credibility back, you know, uh, that would make sense. Uh, and then comes this album and you can really feel his influence on this. I remember at the time reading an interview with him where he was uh singing Lemmy's praises as being a bassist and and basically saying look Lemmy is actually a really great bassist and most people don't realize because he's been saddled with shit drummers for the last 10 years um so you know i see it as part of my job is to allow him to really you know really go get on fire and do what he can do as a bassist and you can really feel that in this album i think you know it's got this is some of the best drumming on any Motorhead album ever, in my opinion. It's and, thunderous, and there are certain right. songs that just exactly. It's and it's so not there. because it's it's not because it's mega technical. It does fit the Motorhead sound, but oh, you sure. can feel them stretching the songwriting just a little bit. You know, just enough that it stays within the bounds of Motorhead. But it is much better drumming than they'd had for years and years by that point. So, a couple of more sort of facts about. Uh, Motorhead, before we dive into the album here, Lemmy at one point was a roadie for Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played with Hawkwind. In fact, which he never tired of reminding people. <laughs> yeah, he played with Hawkwind, as you said, and then he got fired from that band. And when he did, he named Motorhead after the last song that he ever wrote for Hawkwind. That's right. Um, you had... At, uh, and they, uh, they also re-recorded that song as Motorhead. So there are two versions of the song Motorhead. One is by Hawkwind, one is by Motorhead. So that's like uh, Mechanics and the Four Horsemen with Megadeth and Metallica. Right, right. Uh, he had a woman that, from what I've seen and read, was sort of the the love of his early life. Her, her name was Sue, and she overdosed on heroin. And he, whenever would, he would talk about that in all the interviews that I've seen, like that was something that profoundly affected him. And yeah. that was well, And drug. also profoundly affected his attitude towards heroin. Yes. Uh, that. Don't forget that Jimi Hendrix also died of uh, right. an overdose. Um and yeah, his attitude towards drugs in general, if it wasn't dope or speed, he wouldn't go anywhere near it. And he, you know, famously sort of vowed that if anybody in Motorhead had gotten into heroin, he would just would have thrown them out of the band. He's like, you can't, you can't compromise with that shit. You know, right. it's just, too, it's too bad. Uh, you mentioned that we, we talked a little bit about sort of selling out and how they don't know how to really sell out properly. Uh, the reason that Fast Eddie Clark left the band was because they recorded a cover of Stand By Your Man with oh, yeah. Wendy O. Williams and <laughs> <Yeah>. the Plasmatics, <laughs> yeah. which is a pretty punk thing to do. And in my mind, it sort of fits within what you know as Motorhead. But yeah. uh, Fast Eddie did not 
appreciate that and did not uh, did not want that. And so he resigned. And then he went on to form Fastway, which for those of you who are heavy metal and horror fans, if you remember the 1986 movie Trick or Treat, I think it was 1986, Fastway did the soundtrack for that movie. That was the one wow. with Gene Simmons and with Skippy from Family Ties, where he played the metalhead and... Uh, and uh, there was sort of a, a Nikki Six like character who was the villain in that, but they did the they did the soundtrack for that. So, um, huh. so there might be people over in the states who know Fast Eddie Clark from Fastway, right, and right. not from Motorhead, uh, <laughs> which is which is just so interesting. Uh, they have sold over thirty million records worldwide, yep. uh, twenty three studio albums, ten live recordings, twelve compilation albums, and five EPs over a forty year career, which yep. is astounding. Yep. Yep. And you mentioned uh, Hellraiser. So prolific, yeah. And yes, famously Hellraiser, which... Uh, <laughs> Written rather... by Ozzy, Zach yeah. Wilde, and Lemmy. And they each recorded a version of that song. That's on, right. Uh, Ozzy's album, No More Tears, from 1991, they had their version of Hellraiser. And then Motorhead had theirs on, as you mentioned, March or Die. So I, th- I did not know that. I remember the song. And the funny thing is, I remember Motorhead's version of it. Right, I, it right. was only when I watched the video on YouTube and I read something about it that I remembered that there was a song done by Ozzy as well. But I remember the Motorhead version. Right, it's like Bring the Noise with Anthrax and Public Enemy. You know, each yeah recording their own version. Um, yeah. I think I've still got the CD single somewhere of uh, of Motorhead's version um, of El Rosie. Yeah, it's good. And also around that period, I think. I'm not entirely sure on what the details were. I don't know whether it's No More Tears or whether Ozzy did something else to do with the movie soundtrack, but I know that uh, Lemmy wrote a bunch of lyrics for Ozzy songs around that period as well. At Sharon Osbourne's invitation, she basically called him up, offered him a shitload of money to write some songs for Ozzy. Uh, And by, by Lemmy's account, he basically spent a day writing, uh, I think he said he wrote like four songs worth of lyrics and got paid more for those than he'd earned from his entire career in Motorhead up to that point. <laughs> Which doesn't surprise me. And, and no. the, thing, the thing that people might not realize about that and, and is that Lemmy's a pretty amazing lyricist. Oh, he's I mean, a fucking great lyricist, and he does not get the respect for that he deserves. No, and part of it, I think, is just because of their sound, which is just so overwhelming. You might miss a lot of the lyrics as he's just sort of gravelly, you know, uh, yelling them into the mic. But when you go and look at what he's written, he's th- there's some fantastic lyrics on this album as well. Yeah, absolutely. This has got some of his best lyrics. And actually, he said uh, about this album that the lyrics are kind of nonsensical, like unlike some of his albums... He's like, you know, very few of the songs on this album actually have any kind of meaning or theme. They're just lyrics that sort of sound good and sound cool. But actually, I think that works really well. I do <laughs> I too. As a result, they're really, really great, lyrically great songs, as well and, as musically great. And the way they deliver them, and he delivers them in certain songs, is really sort of an interesting approach too, because they're not all just straightforward. No, not at all. Um, one thing that does surprise me about this album is that I have seen some reviewers who say that who dismissed this album and said that it just sounds like any old Motorhead album. Uh, and that's part of the reason why I chose it, actually, uh, to talk about on this show, partly because it is just one of my favourite Motorhead albums ever, but also because, like, what album are you listening to? How, if you have any familiarity with Motorhead whatsoever, how can you listen to some of the tracks on this, like Make Them Blind or The Slow Bits of Order, Fade to Black, or even War for War, and say that this sounds like just usual motorhead there's some really unusual stuff on here 
Within that, the context of Motorhead, sure, it's not, you know, they're not suddenly going off and doing like fucking uh, folk fiddle music or something, you know, it's still Motorhead. But within the context of Motorhead, this is actually a reasonably experimental album. That to me is, and this is just my personal opinion, but when I read stuff like that, not just about Motorhead, but about any band, you didn't listen to it enough. Yeah, that, That's absolutely. really what I think about that. Like to, when I see a, a cursory dismissal of, well, this is just like all the other stuff that you listen to it once, maybe, maybe right. all the way through one time, and then you wrote your review about that. And so, because this is, a, like I said, I've listened to this album probably 35 times over the past month or so. And every time I listen to it, it gets more nuanced. And Motorhead yeah. to me is a band that if you do just listen to them once, and I think this is a reason why a lot of people who would tell you that they're not into Motorhead are not into Motorhead because they've never really spent a lot of time with Motorhead. They've seen, and they miss those nuances. Exactly. Yeah. They see, they see, you know, Lemmy's gravelly voice. They see the the just the all out assault where all the the instruments blend together the first time you listen to one of their songs, and they don't look any further, and they decide that that's not for them. And I and I think that Motorhead is a band that rewards you for listening multiple times to stuff. And as I've listened to this album, there were songs that I did not like the first time through that grew on me at times. And then there were songs that I loved and continued to love even more because they right. were even deeper than I thought they were as I listened to them. But yeah, the, the, this is a band for me that doesn't... And again, as a kid who grew up loving like hair metal and stuff like that, I was a fan of hooks. And, and Motorhead is not... They have songs with hooks, but they're not a hook band in the way that Right, a lot of the bands I grew up listening to are so. You, I had to work at it to get to find my foothold in a Motorhead track, and in this album, I just—I mean, my son now is singing along with some of the songs because he has listened to this album. <laughs> Excellent. He's nine, uh, and we right. mentioned I just took him to his first Queensrÿche concert. But yeah, yeah. every time we get in the car and go to school in the morning, and he goes to Catholic school down the street, so it's it's just oh, classic, God. like just like the- me. Um, I was don't let them school. see the uh, don't let them see the album artwork. No, no, oh, oh please, <laughs> that album artwork. Can we just talk about the fact that basically every cover of a Motorhead album is genitalia, and uh, right, they, yeah, they, yeah, it yeah. was like their thing to sneak it in yeah. to everything. They did not really sneak it well, this time around. And, and this is. is one of their better covers as well. I think this is you know up there with absolutely along with something like Bomber or Another Perfect Day with absolute you know some of the best Motorhead. Uh, cover art but yeah the tongue penis is just like when you see it you like as as soon as you you look at it cannot unsee it (laughs) yeah you cannot unsee it no you will never unsee it again but but uh but yeah you know he's my son is enjoying the motorhead stuff and he and it's so funny to watch a, a kid who is just sort of hearing all of these different bands and hearing all of these different influences, like he just takes it all as it comes, you know, and he'll, and he'll just uh, spend time with it. And a lot of times we won't even talk when, you know, we'll be listening to a song and then he'll ask me questions afterwards or, you know, I'm much like I do on this show, we'll be talking and I'll be like, you know, this guy passed away recently. And, you know, we'll talk about like, Oh, who was he? And, and stuff like that. And uh, he has listened to this album quite a few times over the past month as well. He could probably do this episode instead of me and <laughs> and just get here and talk about like, uh, but yeah, so it, it's a band definitely that the more you listen to them, the more you get out of it. And this is an album that I think to go back to your point is, has a lot of variety. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of, yeah, nuance and sort of them trying new things. Okay. So, so with that, let's start and 
straight up first track sacrifice That's all I thought was thunderclouds, like coming over the horizon with those drums. Right out of the gate, yeah, it's just blistering. You've got the low, growling guitars. You've got yes. Mickey D's drums. They are thunderous. Thunderous is, you, you can't, it's hard to think of a better word to describe it. It just sounds like rumbling thunder. Rumbling uh, thunder with the lightning flashing inside of the clouds. Like no bolts of lightning, right. just the rumbling thunder clouds like rolling in and you know that there's a storm coming. And you feel it's like, coming, yeah. You feel like you walked in in the middle of the song. It just kind of starts. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Almost like, really again, like you walked into the middle of a thunderstorm. Like it, like something just rolled into town. Like that's, that's, that's what the song reminds me of. And, and the video for it is full of anti-war imagery yes um and it was i don't know how many videos they did for this album but this one there's just tons of like anti-war imagery and and lemmy said in one of the interviews that this song is about war and pain and the mortality of the flesh so it's a very dark sort of uh subject matter but it's just a it's just a beast yeah well and then when it speeds up in the chorus uh, and Lemmy's just shouting sacrifice over and over. Uh, and then you get the post-chorus, and they let Mickey D show off a bit. When yep. he does that, he's doing all his fantastic double bass stuff and whacking every Tom and cymbal in sight. Uh, it's There's so much power in this opening track. We've talked before many times about sort of setting out your stall with the first track, and that this track really does that. It's so powerful. It is just blistering. It just melts your face off. Um, if, if you were to, if someone was to say, put me together a playlist of what you, what you think Motorhead is, you know, when someone right. says Motorhead, everything <laughs> yeah. louder than everything else. And what, you know, why is Motorhead heavy metal and not a rock band or, or, you know, I, I think. Right, the, right. The old thing about Lemmy always saying, oh, we're not a heavy metal band. It's like, have you listened to this album? <laughs> this, this opener is brutal. Like, yeah, this is just, a metal song, dude. <laughs> it is a, it's, it's as metal as metal gets, right? And, and it just, uh, it's Although just a beast no of a song. No solo. This album uh, is not solo heavy at all. There's a couple in my mind that stand out to me, and I think I made notes about them as right, I went. Right. But but it is just. But like, there are several songs that. Well, and it was that period of time that we talked about before, where solos kind of had gone out of fashion a bit. Uh-huh. Um, and there are a few songs in this album, yeah, where there are no solos. But what they do instead is uh, they sort of amp up different riffs during the bridge yes so you'll get not a breakdown as such but almost like an entire new little mini song with a couple of new riffs in the middle of the bridge rather than a solo which is unusual right or they'll let you know mickey hammer on the drums for a minute or they'll you know or they'll just they'll chug along for a minute or you'll get the the sort of naked bass line of of lemmy and then everything else sort of kicks in and they they definitely play with that but it's not it's not a uh 
a big album for solos. Well, and a lot of the bridges are so short that it kind of doesn't matter as well. Oh, I mean, I mean you've you, got songs we, that are two minutes long in this in this album. Yeah, so. we, we didn't actually we haven't we didn't say that at the start. We normally do. There's Eleven songs on this album, thirty six minutes. Yep. I mean, that is even for Motorhead. That those are short songs, and they famously do not do very long songs. Um, they don't waste but, yeah. a lot of time, and I appreciate no, that. Absolutely I, I not. see that as they have sort of. A, I feel like Lemmy has more of a respect for you as a music fan in a in in that way you know what i mean like right, he's, right. he's not going to pad a song just because the the traditional rock song is four minutes and change right right well a bit like slayer when we talked about um south of heaven sure you know you it was the same sort of thing there where it's like yeah we're just going to play that bit once you can always go back and listen to it again if you want <laughs> oh, exactly <laughs> right <laughs> the song doesn't need to have it in there more than once <laughs> yep yeah good oh, stuff man. but what a great so, opener yeah, you're right it, it really is. Um, my favorite line in this, I tried to pick out, because I know you like to, I tried to pick out my favorite lyrics from every song. And honestly, the lyrics on this album are so good that it's actually quite hard to pick just a line or two, you know, as your favorite from each song, because um, they're all so good. But yeah, in this one, it's definitely, uh, what I decided to do was I picked the sort of the bits that I always find myself singing along to. Uh, and in this track, it's the women stitch the shrouds, the children murder all the world. Yeah. Which just, wow, how evocative is that? Yeah, it's crazy. Great, all great right. opener. It really is. Uh, and then we go track two, Sex and Death. Super punk, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Just, and what more? I mean, sex and death for heaven's sake, you know. Like, <laughs> I mean, literally, when you look at the lyrics, I mean, we know who we are. We know who we are. We don't, remember every don't move. We still maturity, bear the scars. Don't you even dare. Yeah, we are yeah. our own security, and we don't even care. Yeah. Uh, just, Be damned if you can't handle it. Hope you break your neck. Sex and death. Sex and the, death. I mean, it's. The answer to life's mystery is simple and direct. I mean, you know. <laughs> Which, and it's funny because, you know, Lemmy famously was was a guy who slept around and never settled down. Yes. And he was, in one of the interviews I saw with him, he said, you know, I'm not going to be one of those guys who commits to somebody and, and says, well, you know, we'll be together forever and then runs around on them. He says, I run around. That's what I do. Like that was <laughs> yes. his That was his take. So, I mean, it, again, in every interview and every conversation that he had, he was just so transparent and he just cut it down to one sentence and sex and death is basically that, that title tells you everything you need to know about this song. But the, the right. music is very punk. Um, again, well, to the drums me, this are is, great. They, they are. The, to me, this is the perfect fusion of that whole loud, we are the loudest rock and roll band in the world thing that Lemmy was always talking about, you know, saying we're, we're, we're not heavy metal. We're just a really, really loud rock and roll band. And this song 
I think kind of, you know, you could present this as evidence to support that because it is kind of a rock and roll song. I mean, it's so short and it's so fast that yes, you can feel the punk influences, but you know, if you actually sort of like look at the way it's structured and listen to the, the, just the musical notes rather than how they're played, um, it is kind of a rock and roll song. Oh, without a doubt. It's totally a, a rock and roll song. Just sped up a little bit and played with that, with that sort of, um, almost shiny punk, you know, the, 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 the tinny punk feel to it, I think is, right. is, uh, in the way that it's delivered. But yeah, I mean, th- this is what you talked about before in terms of the versatility of this band and the variety that you find in this album. Sex and Death is a very different song than Sacrifice. Yes. And Motorhead, if you, if you want to just see what a versatile band Motorhead was and how they, if you have this idea in your head that they were just one thing, look at the bands that they toured with over the course of their career. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, these, this is a band who could, who could tour with at a punk festival. Or, as I mentioned, I saw them with Anthrax and I saw them with Megadeth. Those were the two times that I saw them. So they're touring with thrash bands. They can tour on a rock and roll bill. They can, so like, it's all there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I also, one of the things I love about this track is after the first couple of verses, um, just before the, the solo, he just randomly shouts, show me a guitar. Right. And then the solo starts. <laughs> it's like, what does that even mean? Yeah. It's almost like they caught that as they were recording it. He just bellowed it out in the studio or something. Okay. And then, uh, straight into track three, again, that song, like barely two minutes long. Uh, sex and death it's just incredibly short sharp just bang in and out uh, and then into track three over your shoulder Now this song, when I mentioned about um, you know Motorhead being such a root band, like I didn't realize until I heard this song, like what a humongous influence Motorhead is on Black Label Society, Zach Wild stuff. Oh right, yeah, yeah. But when you hear, you know, when when they're doing the bends on the low strings there, yeah, like it, yeah, that yeah. is so Zach Wild. Like every Th- that single bent note rhythm. in the chorus is just inspired, isn't it? It is, Do- and it's such like it, that. It's like Zach Wild must have listened to songs like this a thousand times over, and then just made a whole band about it because that's you know <laughs> because Zach is all about the 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 screeches and the bends, yeah. and and he loves to bend those you know those lower notes, and so many of Black Label Society songs feature that type of riff. And so when I heard it here, I was like, oh, that this is what made me realize what a sort of root band that Motorhead right. is. I was like, well, wow, because I love Black f- Label Society. And for me, when I first heard this album, this was the track that made me think, oh, okay, this is not a regular Motorhead album. Because Sacrifice, I mean, Sacrifice and Sex and Death are both great. Sure. And, th- and they are, 
you know, they do stretch the band in certain places, but nevertheless, they are, you know, fairly sort of, you could put them on a lot of different Motorhead albums and it would sound fine. But over your shoulder with those weird offbeat drums uh, at the start, just like you've never heard anything like that on a Motorhead album before or since, frankly. Um, it's just, and he, and he does it so effortlessly, effortlessly, he just slips in and out of like this weird off rhythm where he's hitting the snare when he should be hitting the hi-hat and the bass when he should be hitting the snare. And yep. it's just so, it catches you off guard. Um, and yeah, that was the bit that made me think, oh, okay, this is going to be a bit different. Also, I fucking love the guitar tone on oh, this album. And a- this track really showcases yes. it. It is so dirty and raw and fuzzy i mean i can't even tell in the intro if that is just guitar or if it's got the bass underneath it as well but that's the point you can't tell because it is so muddy and fuzzy but and it's got but such in a, a good crunch way. to it too like when the yeah. like after those you know when it's when it does the bends and then it goes dun, 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 and it's just like they crunch those three chords like just really yeah. it's just got a great feel to it, great tone as you said yeah, fantastic. Uh, it's another bridge without much of a solo, but again, the bridge is so, you know, short. Um, and then you come out of the bridge and Mickey D starts screwing around with that offbeat thing again. He's yep. just in and out of it. It's amazing. Um, yeah, I absolutely love this track because it kind of... Sacrifice sets out the stall for the album in that, you know, yeah, this is going to be pounding and heavy and loud and brutal. But I think this is the track that really sets out the stall for this is not going to sound like a regular Motorhead album. And we are going to try a few new things here and we are going to, you know, let Mickey show off a little bit uh, because we finally got a drummer who can do this sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. Great tune. Yeah. Um, it's one of my favorites on the album. This, this oh, one. Me too. I mean, I don't think there's a bad track. This is one of those albums where I do not think there is a bad track on it. The whole thing, it's all killer, no filler for me. Um, but over your shoulder is definitely a standout. Yeah. Uh, and then once again into, you know, an unusual track for them, War for War. main riff reminds me a little bit of slayer just like very slayer in that so again like so i'm listening to this i'm like oh that's black label society oh that's slayer like oh that's punk like oh and it just kept hitting me in the face of like man these guys they're all over the place yeah yeah and that you got that galloping rhythm in the verse i mean the song's about galloping you know it has a death march feel to it. it's war for war obviously so the lyrics are very much in that vein of of sort of a death march and it's well, just and literally a about cavalry feel yeah literally just singing about cavalry so yep. you know the, the, having a galloping rhythm makes sense but again you're really sort of 
dirty guitar tone. Uh, yeah, those chords in the chorus that as you say, very and a bluesy kind of solo though. Yeah, you know, so it's it's again like it's like you said, this is a song that doesn't do what you think that it's going to do, and 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 it catches you off guard a few times throughout the song. Yeah, I don't know who did that solo. As I say, like you know, reports are conflicting <laughs> over who exactly did what yep. uh, on a lot of the tracks on this album. Um, but whoever did it, whether this was Wurzel or Campbell, it is a very cool bluesy solo. Um, I, I'm inclined to think it was probably Campbell because when you see them live, you know, in recent years, Campbell clearly has a lot of blues influence in his style, uh, and Wurzel famously. One of the reasons that he quit the band was because he thought they were getting less metal. Um, uh, so I'm inclined to think that this probably is Campbell, but it is a really good solo. And you know that I'm not huge on solos. I don't care about them that much, but this is a really good one. Well, and I think the nice thing about you know Motorhead is they don't waste them. You know what I mean? So it's not right. like every song has a solo <laughs> just to have a solo. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then that lovely sudden stop at the end of this as well. Just bam, dead stop. Uh, and then again, continuing the slightly weird sounds, order fade to black. Tempo changes, double bass attack. Like, this well, song is a crusher. Right. And the strange way that Lemmy does the uh, vocals, where you've got like the shouting going on behind him, also shouting, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. This is one of a couple songs on this album where, where vocally he does some very different things. Yeah. And it's just yeah. like him yelling yes in the background on top of, you know, dun dun dan dun dun dan like it just mirrors the the way the riff is being played yeah and it is a heavy heavy grind on that verse as well really sort of slow heavy riff uh, and then of course the chorus like really fast and you know well and then just how it comes in like at midway through the song where it's just the bass and then mm. the guitar comes in and then the freaking crushing drums come in and it's just like that takes me right back to the very beginning of the album where it's just like right. a freaking freight train. Yeah, you know? I they're only they're not even halfway through the track when it effectively becomes an extended instrumental piece. Yep. With again like a really big long solo and yeah, as you say the bass coming to the fore and it's it's an odd arrangement. It's certainly not a traditional like rock and roll arrangement. Um 
But I maybe mean, again, one of I think it might be the heaviest song in the album when it gets to the oh yeah yeah you know just the the when and when it's firing on all cylinders it is it's just the most brutal. thrash like yes. I think when you get to that bridge and the the, the fast instrumental part it suddenly you're like oh wow this could be on a Metallica album yeah and especially because Mickey will like he's all over the kit and then yeah. <laughs> like the third time they play that riff when it goes just when it goes into instrumental mode is when the double bass kicks in and yes. it was already heavy. And then it just got 10,000 times heavier. It's even heavier. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's like yeah. you put his foot on the gas and it's just like, holy crap. Yeah. It's, and it is probably the heaviest, the outright heaviest track on the album, which is, you know, uh, amusing because it's also probably the slowest. And I but, love that it's right in the middle of the album. It's yeah. almost like, oh, in case you forgot, here's a crusher, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then, yes, I mean, I, I have this on CD, not vinyl, so I don't actually know where the um, uh, where the, the side break is. Uh, but I assume it probably is after that track. I would and then assume si- so, yeah. Yeah, and then side two probably starts with Dogface Boy, track six. Which is a very sort of straight ahead rock song. Very rock and roll song. Yep. I mean, it even has twist and shout in the lyrics. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> you know, um, and uh, this song is allegedly, well, there's a story that it's about Phil Campbell, uh, but let me insist that he only decided that after he'd already written the lyrics. Uh-huh. So I, I, that doesn't make any sense to me. I'm like, well, it can't be then, can it? Um, but yeah, re- I mean, Lemmy's always been a bit obsessed with wolves and werewolves. Uh, you know, if you sort of look back over his lyrics. Um, and I just, I don't know, there's something about this one. It's fast, very rock and roll, really good solo uh, yes. on this one, actually. I, Again. I, my note was one of the only real solos on the album. Mm, yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, and uh, all the solos on this album fit the tracks. That's yes. what I like about them. Like when they need to be, they're again a bit like we were saying about the Slayer album. They just kind of get in, play a shitload of random notes, and then get out again. But then on some tracks, they are more bluesy and more melodic, and you know, against that versatility, right? Um, and I love the, my favorite line in this: uh, "Dog face boy, werewolf hero, pride and joy." Yeah. Just, <laughs> I mean, it's the way he sings them as well. It's not just the lyrics, but it's the way that Lemmy delivers them. So, so good. Maybe it'll be on the soundtrack to the Howling Commandos movie if they ever make one. Oh, <laughs> wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. Um, and then All Gone to Hell, track seven. Face. 
be my favorite song on the album. Really? Interesting. I love this song. Um, I think this, musically, this is probably the closest thing to a traditional Motorhead song on the album, I think. Oh, and you know what? A, no, number 10 is my favorite, but this is my second favorite oh, okay. song in the album. Because, right. I mean, that's not a bad thing at all, but this is, musically, this is very, this is one where they don't, uh, you know, experiment or really try anything new. Um, but what I do like about it is that, again, Mickey D kind of shining through, he sounds restrained like barely restrained on this track like he's itching to like just smash all every drum skin in tight in sight you know <laughs> and there's like a third I, I don't know how to describe it but like the third time they play the the main sort of riff there it almost like jumps itself it's like they add an extra beat to it it's- ah no what they do right yeah what they do is uh they they do kind of jump the the first bit they move it forward they move it forward, a, right? Yeah. By a note. Yes. But they don't but they don't change anything else. They don't change the drums or but the that's rhythm. That's so awesome. Like that yeah. that uh and a funny funny thing. When I so I bought so when I put this album on C D for some reason the playlist screwed it up and it put the songs all out of order. Oh right. And this was the first song in the album when I listened to it like the first five or six times. So oh, I wow. kept thinking that this was the opener. I was like, wow, this is a great opening song. So when I actually got the order of the album right, Sacrifice is a great opener to the album, but this was one of my favorites. And the fact that it's sort of on the back end of the album at number seven, like it just had, it's perfect timing. It's a perfect spot for this song to be in. It's coming off of this, you know, very rock and roll song. And I, that, that little moving forward of that riff there to me just, I never get sick of it. Like it, it just keeps great, this yeah. song interesting every single time you listen to it. And this is a song where you can really hear the bass thumping. You can really yes. hear Lemmy strumming the bass on this. And I, I I'm a huge, uh, the bass is my favorite instrument. I love, I just love hearing him wailing on that bass. It's a relentless, just straight ahead crusher. And yeah. I love the, what they do with that riff. Yeah. That would, that was sort of one of my standout, compositional things of the album i just because you you almost feel the first couple times you listen to it like you missed something like did right that, right did that just you skip or like you can't quite work out what it is you've just something's different but what is it yeah yes. it takes a few listens to realize yeah. because your head is always trying to nail down what the hook is you know like your head is trying to find the rhythm of the song so that when you listen to it in the future you know exactly what the structure of it is and this is a song that doesn't let you do that right away you have to listen to it a lot before it really locks in and figure that out exactly yeah and i just love that about it talking about where it is on the album as well you've got this is a really i think well-paced album because you've got sacrifice and sex and death which are you know loud fast not too far from traditional motorhead then you've got three tracks all of which are very heavy but are unusual you know they all have something unusual about them and something that is stretching the motorhead sound and then you get two very traditional tracks in dogface boy which is very rock and roll and this all gone to hell which is very traditional motorhead so it is really good timing i think i I totally agree love this probably my second favorite song on the album i even love the the very last lines i mean the lyrics are great how it gets clean at the end there Right, you must lift the spell. Life could be much more than this unless we've gone to hell. Yep. But then, yeah, the, all the instruments drop out and you've just got Lemmy in that sort of d- traditional, I mean, he does a lot of double tracking. Um, you know, nobody would ever mistake Lemmy for a great singer. <laughs> so no, but like double- Dave Mustaine does that too. He double tracks. Right. 
It, well, it, Lemmy did it a lot of, I'm not sure whether Mustaine does it for this reason. Lemmy does it a lot of the time just for sort of power. Because yes. when you do hear him, uh, you know, sing that when he's not double tracked, it's clear that he doesn't have a lot of power in his voice. He's got a fantastic voice, that lovely raw throated. But he like, sings from his throat. Howl. Like that's. But, Exactly, it's yeah. all out of the throat. There's yep. not a lot of power there. So if you double track, you can, you know, you can double it up and get more power. Yep. Um, and so you've got just fading out everything else. So all you can hear is those vocals that sound weird anyway when you remove the instruments. Um, delivering those lines, and it's just again unusual for Motorhead. It's not something that you hear a lot of. Yeah, love it. And then one of my favorite tracks on the album next, Make Em Blind, track eight. So this is really interesting because the first few times I listened to this album, I this song did not grab me. This was like my one song on the album where I was like, I don't know if I like that. However, when I listened to it on the 35th listen, uh, this song <laughs> was probably the one out of the entire album that grew on me every time right, I listened right. to it. It took a while for this song to really click with me, but I I do appreciate it now. It's not my favorite song on the album, but I went from not liking it to appreciating that they're doing some very different stuff on this song. Right. Now, for me, it is one of my favorites. I don't know whether I'd say it's my absolute favorite on the album, but it is one of my favorites because it's unusual, but still very, very heavy. I mean, the opening, you've got that, you know, it's ominous and, and sort of thunderous again. Uh, Lemmy's vocals bear uh, over the yep. drums again. Uh, once again, Mickey D showing what he can do, but also being kind of restrained. Um, there was a an interview with him a while ago where... He said, somebody asked him about like his drumming in Motorhead and stuff. And he, he said, look, I, I could very easily overplay every single one of these tracks. You know, I could spend the entire gig showing off and proving what a great drummer I am, but that's not Motorhead. That's not what Motorhead needs. And it just, it wouldn't work. And you can feel that on this album. I think, you know, he is clearly more capable than Phil Taylor was towards the end of oh, his career. Dude, he's a beast. Um, yeah, he's amazing, but he never overplays. And even this, where the opening lines are just him. He's the only instrument playing under Lemmy's vocals. And still, it's not overdone. You know, he's still not actually completely showing off. He's just focusing on that rumbling, ominous yep. drum sound. But my note on this song to my, for, for, you know, as I go through track by track were the, the drums are fantastic and they carry the song. So even though he's restrained, yeah. I still feel like he is what, he is what keeps me connected to the song. Yeah. So this for me, this song is like a companion piece to Orgasmatron. 
uh-huh. which is one of my favorite songs of theirs of all time. You know, the lyrics are very similar. You've got that same sort of anti-authority, anti-leaders who sacrifice their underlings. You've got the same sort of slow, angry feel. You know, one of those songs, again, that sounds like it's being played through gritted teeth, you know. Right. Um, and uh, And then it crashes into you know, uh, three quarters of the way through, three quarters of the way through, it suddenly breaks open into a regular beat as if the rest of the song has all been an intro. Right. Like a preamble. Um, Yeah. And then they sort of start rocking out, you know, um, I just, I love it. Listen out by the way, for Lemmy does a lovely descending scale on the bass just before he starts singing again towards the end there, which is really nice. Um, and the solo on this track apparently was, allegedly improvised by Phil Campbell, uh, sitting on the back of a couch and he fell off the couch halfway through the solo and basically carried on playing as he was falling off a couch. Huh. <laughs> well, that's an interesting way to write a solo. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, you know, who knows whether that's true or not. Um, but I mean, I, you got to give them the benefit of the doubt with Motorhead. You would exactly. assume that it's probably true. Why would they <laughs> lie about it? It's certainly plausible, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just love the idea. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and again, a fantastic end to this song where you've got the crashing drums, that low suspended chord ringing out doesn't resolve the tune, and right. Lemmy's voice echoing and circling around. It's, again, unusual for Motorhead. And then what's next? Oh, track nine, don't waste your time. balls of fire yeah this is the full-on the proper real rock and roll track on pretty much every motorhead album has got a track like this that is got your piano you've got your sax you've got your bluesy rock and roll piano oh without a doubt (laughs) like this is this to me is this is the dive bar rock band you know just just wailing out and uh and having a good time and and i love that because again their image is so hard not this <laughs> yeah, it, it is it's just so like hard but i think that again that's the superficial image that they have you know what i mean that's the yeah. if you don't listen to their music then you don't know how rock and roll inspired it actually is and how lemmy's not afraid to go there um, yeah. and how well, that's and really lemmy, been a part of them since the very beginning absolutely and lemmy throughout his entire career would always say that his favorite uh artist of all time was little richard yep you know, that was his biggest influence was Little Richard, for heaven's sake. So, you know, yeah, he loved rock and roll and it really shows. And this, on this is track. like the poster band for, to go back to what we talked about before, you know, some people have a very sort of narrow definition of like what metal is or, or what rock is and stuff like that. And Motorhead to me seems like the poster band to be able to say, you can do all of this. 
Yeah. You can yeah. be all of these things and appeal to different listeners and bring people together around the music and there's something for everyone within it, certainly on an album like this. Well, and literally, uh, in the case of these two tracks, because this track and the previous track, Make Em Blind, were both written entirely by Lemmy. Well, there you like, go. Mo- most of the songs were written collaboratively in the album, but he wrote both of these songs solo. And you couldn't get two more different songs on this album, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. They're on the uh, complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, a really sort of traditional blues rock solo in this track as well. Definitely. And very, you know, just uh, where it's placed on the album, just sort of a nice kind of like oh, it's good place palette yeah, cleanser, yeah. you know what I mean? Before you head into the last couple songs. Right, absolutely. Uh, and so, yeah, into uh, the last but one track, In Another Time, track 10. favorite song on the album i love this song to death really wow (laughs) i do i love the desperation to the way that he delivers the vocals right i love that it's stretching it i love that it's just that high pitched uh it just has this real sort of the main verse has a lot of sort of desperation to it and then it just the chorus obviously changes completely but um I really, really like that main riff and the way that he delivers the vocals. Like it's to me, it's a very, it's a song I keep coming back to. Right. I think. I mean, the, you can tell that the entire song is built around the chorus riff. You know that whole da 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 da. Yep. That is that's the centerpiece of the song. Somebody came up with that and they went brilliant. Let's make a song out of it. But his <laughs> lyrics are awesome on this song. Like they, they are so, so good. So yeah. this one, dust on a mirror turned black. The reflection is flawed. All the mirrors are cracked. Strange how the glass seems to sing, but the words are like a death. They could be anything. They could be anything. So awesome. Yeah. Like that's, that's actually, that's the bit that I pulled out. That's the bit that I always sing along to. I love those lyrics. We oh, you know what? That reminded me, uh, someone had posted on our Facebook page and I apologize now because I'll never be able to find the post on there, but does the question was, do, do you ever get the chills when you listen to music? Do you ever get like the tingles when you listen to a right, particular yeah. part of a song or something like that? And and a lot of people were like, absolutely. You know, it's usually when something really resonates with you or, or one part of a song really clicks. Like that verse and the way he delivers the lyrics in this song, absolutely like a chill-inducing moment to me. Just fantastic lyrics. Yeah, really, really good. Um the bridge in this again, like weird time signature, odd chords, you know, again, stretching the sound. 
Um, but the reason it feels I like laughed, a little like wah pedal in there too, doesn't it? Like yeah, a, yeah, 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 yeah. But the reason I laughed is because uh, I mean, like I said, I love all the tracks on this album. I really do. But if you had to lose one, as we've talked about before, this is actually the track I would lose. This is you and I to a T, because the track <laughs> yeah. I would lose would be "Make 'Em Blind." Right. So yeah, yeah I mean, this is like this is. But on the other hand, it would mean losing that riff. And that riff, that chorus riff on this song is just so... For pure, actual, just catchy riff, that's probably the best riff on the album. Yeah, well, and and would and even though I would never be able to play it, sounds super fun to play, you know? Right, yeah, Just yeah, the way yeah. that it flows. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a bit like the... Um, the opening riff on uh, As I Drown, I think it was, on the Defiled album. Yep. Um, do you remember the, the the sort of bouncing riff? And we said, like, that's the best riff. Yeah, exactly, just, yep. For, you know, just taken out of context purely as a riff, that's easily the best riff, riff, best riff on that album. And that's the case here with this chorus riff is just so, so good. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then leads into the final track, out of the sun. what a great rock and roll song to close out with, you know, it's, it, it's, it is. And it's another unusual start for them as well. Cause you've got the quiet bit with no drums and then, you know, bang into the full band. Yeah. And uh, one of the, again, this song has a few great solos in it, but some really good soloing in this song. It's yes. just a great rock and roll quite, tune and quite a great long <laughs> for yeah. this album as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and then it fades out with a solo too. So you, you, it really, uh, I think it's a great closer to the album. Ah, okay. Now, actually, I mean, again, I keep emphasizing, I love this album, but the only thing I wish about this album that it doesn't have is that the final track had a proper end to it. Rather, I know than that that's a pet out. peeve for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what I, I'd never, I swear I'd never done this before, but as I was making my notes, that thought sort of crystallized in my head. And so what I did was I played it through again but I deliberately set the playlist up so that it would play this track as track 10 and end with In Another Time. And you know what? Actually, that sounded pretty damn good. Well, there you go. That's that's us <laughs> remixing the album. And yeah. I, as I mentioned, I completely mixed the entire album the wrong way when I first started listening to it. So, um, Right, which which blows my mind because, because I listened to this album on CD for so many years and I've never been a CD shuffler type person. Me neither. Um, 
I, it, this is, I laughed at the beginning when you said you'd listen to it nonstop for a month because when I first got this album, I was working in a design studio where we used to have a CD player in the corner of the office and we would bring in our CDs and take it in turns. There were three of us uh, and we'd take it in turns to, you know, listen to uh, CDs throughout the day. Yep. And I made my co-workers absolutely sick of this album because when it came out, this was basically my choice. I would play this minimum twice a day, pretty much every day for about the first four or five weeks after it came out because I loved it so much. I will tell you that I truly love this album. After having listened to it for a month straight now, I, I do love this album. Like I would put this in in a favorite albums grouping. I really, really do yeah. like it. And I've listened to it. I keep going back to it because we've had the new Anthrax album come out. We've had the Last in Line album come out that I mentioned, and I keep taking those out and putting Motorhead in. And so, uh, and the way that the things work for me for this show is that when we pick an album, I live in it until the time that we record the episode, and then I'm allowed to sort of move on to whatever you know the next album is or whatever I'm listening right. to that week or something like that. But I really try to keep it very fresh in my mind until the time that we talk about it, and I keep coming back to this album i listened to it this morning i listened to it last night um and it's only 36 minutes long so it's not right it's it, not a huge commitment no to it's not a huge commitment yeah. so when i'm writing or driving or whatever like it's it's an album that i pop in and i don't skip any of the songs on it as you mentioned it's all killer and no filler absolutely this is i mean yeah i i can listen to this album any any time you know i will never not listen to this album if it comes on uh, at any point or if some even if somebody else plays it you know but this is the I, I mentioned this at the end of the last show when i said that this was what i wanted to pick was this is the problem like so many motorhead fans have never heard this album and i'm not sure if that's because it was released on an indie and it wasn't well distributed or whatever but really in this day and age with all the streaming and stuff and digital music there's no excuse and this is for my money this is the best album Motorhead made in their later era. If you sort of divide them into, you know, the early, uh, you know, yeah, Bomber, No Remorse, Another Perfect Day, Overkill, that sort of early, up until Ace of Spades, basically. And then you have the post-Ace of Spades era. The closest thing to this, in my opinion, is Orgasmatron. And even that has a couple of dodgy tracks on it. Uh -huh. uh, whereas this album, I think, just has no dodgy tracks at all. And... I don't think they ever made another album as good as this again. They make great albums, but this is so good, stands so far above those other albums for me that I just wish more people would listen to it. Now, have you seen Motorhead live? I have never seen them live. Uh, they never appeared at any of the sort of all-day Metal Fest things that I went to. Um, and unfortunately, like at the time when I was going to a lot of shows, they were kind of out of favor you know they were not because in recent years as we know in the last say five ten years you know people rediscovered motorhead's yes. legacy if you like yep. and were like oh hang agree. on a second you know these guys actually deserve a lot of respect um but for the 10 year period before that they got no respect whatsoever um and they were barely selling any records and i often felt like i was the last person in the world listening to motorhead at times um so they didn't appear on like you know sort of all day bills and stuff um and they didn't do a lot of touring in the uk frankly because you know they were more popular in europe and even in america in some places 
Um, so there's that, but also, and this sounds terrible, but I, I mean, people know by now how I listen to music and what I sort of look for in music. I knew that if I went to a motorhead, like when I go to a metal gig, I am not the guy in the mosh pit punching people. Sure. I am the guy down the front of the barriers singing along, uh, and throwing the horns, or I'm the guy at the back of the hall nodding approvingly. You know what I mean? And sort of like, you know, and going, hmm, yes, this is very good. Um, and so I just never felt like I would enjoy a Motorhead gig like I was supposed to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get uh, that. And I'm I'm similar in that I, you know, there was a time in my youth where I wouldn't mind jumping. But even in my heyday, I was not a jump I was into never the, pit, the guy. throw elbows, right, walk out yeah, with a bloody yeah. nose. Like that was never part of what I enjoyed about that. Um, I, I, I certainly enjoyed the energy that the live shows bring, but I, I am more there to see the band perform. I'm not, exactly. it's not about me slam dancing with a group of people. Although I, I love that people get that out of going to those shows. For me, it is about getting the energy from the band and giving it back to them and, yeah. and enjoying I, I, I'm not knocking mosh pits at oh, all. Oh no, not at all. You know? the, the, they're um, part of yeah, the experience. Yeah. But that's never been the place for me. And as I say, when I was, you know, around this time, basically, when around the time of this album and the sort of five, ten year period surrounding it, Motorhead weren't playing huge uh, venues where right. you could be 30 rows back and just sort of, you know, have a great time and, you know, uh, and sing along or whatever. But they it were seems playing like they were 200 this... people venues, yeah. 500 people venues, I was where just the entire say, place would turn into a mosh pit. <laughs> I was just going to say, where I saw them was a fairly small venue. And I, so the two times I saw uh, Motorhead was with two of the big four. So I saw them with Anthrax in 2003 at the Worcester Palladium, which is a smaller venue. And they were fan- that was the first time I ever saw them. And as I mentioned, game changer for me. Yeah, uh, really blew me away. And then I saw them at a uh, at the Mohegan Sun Arena, which is a, a civic center attached to a casino here out in Connecticut uh, on Megadeth's Gigantour, which was sort of their festival that they did for about five years or so, I think. Um, and they were with Volbeat and Megadeth that time around. And I couldn't pull the set list for the Worcester show. Usually on set list they. Uh, People have chimed in with what was on there, so I didn't get to pull that. But I looked at the Mohegan Sun one. They didn't play any songs off of this album. Right. I'll give you the quick set list. It was Bomber, Damage Case, I Know How to Die, Metropolis, Over the Top, The Chase is Better Than the Catch, The One to Sing the Blues, Going to Brazil, Killed by Death, Ace of Spades, and Overkill. Mostly old songs then, yeah, yeah. Yep. Mostly, and that was mostly in sort of classic old material. Yeah, Yeah. So, which I think, as you mentioned, as they sort of came back and found you know, favor again, it was, it was a, a lot of the, the old stuff that people wanted to hear. Exactly. That's what people wanted. And, you know, this ties in again to what I was saying about Lemmy idolizing, uh, little Richard, um, and Jerry Lee Lewis and people like that, you know, and he, uh, often said that if he went to a gig and paid like, you know, $40 for a ticket to go and see somebody like little Richard, and he didn't play his big hits, he would feel pissed off. Right. And that's why they always played Ace of Spades. You know, pretty much every gig they ever did from 81 onwards, Motorhead played Ace of Spades sure. because much as it, Lemmy may have gotten tired of it <laughs> and who can blame him. Um, at the same time, he knew 
that if he didn't play it, there'd be a riot. You know, you that's what people have paid their $40 to hear. And so you've got to give that to them. Yeah. So so there you go. I saw him twice, about 10 years apart. Um, but going back to this album, man, like I'm, I'm glad you suggested it for the show because it's definitely one that I hadn't spent any time with before and have spent a ton of time with now. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, if it's any consolation, uh, I could say the same to you about um, Holy Diver, uh, which has been in regular rotation since we did nice. that Nice. So, that makes yeah, my day. There you go. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, just before we get to homework, I'm just going to remind everyone that we are going to be, you know, that we're changing the Patreon. We're going to be running this poll uh, so that we can talk about an album that you guys have selected, well, nominated, and we'll select from the nominations. Um, but we'll select randomly. Um, and we will do that later at some point in the season. Uh, volume. There you go. You got me doing it now. <laughs> hey, I don't I'm, know not, you- I'm not going to scold you because I make that mistake constantly. <laughs> yeah. Although I've been uh, better lately. Yeah, yeah. We don't know exactly when, but we will do it later. So head, if you're not a, a patron already and you want to take part in this, go over to Patreon, make a pledge. It's only a dollar. If that's all you can afford more, if you can afford it is wonderful, obviously. Um, and you'll be able to take part in the poll. Uh, so go to patreon.com slash thrash it out. And uh, yeah, you know, that will be awesome. So back to the regular show. What is the homework for next week? Oh, I'm, I'm very excited about this. So if you anyone, say that every week, I know, right? <laughs> I do say that every week, but if anyone was worried about me bringing another hair or glam metal right in a row, I try to keep things varied. And I think that everyone is going to be very happy with my next pick. We're going to go to 1990. And we are going to be spending some time with suicidal tendencies because the album that we are going to talk about is Lights, Camera, Revolution. Wow. Okay. Uh, Do you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I've heard this album all the way through. I've I've definitely heard tracks off it. No question. I know that. I'm even more excited now. But I don't own the album. And so I'm not sure if I've ever actually heard the whole album. Uh, rather than just the odd track here and there on you know, MTV or around friends' houses, that sort of thing. So if, yeah, uh, exciting. If Suicidal Tendencies shares a thread with Motorhead, I would definitely say that they are a band that has a variety of genres that are encompassed yes. within their musical career because their early stuff was super skate punk. And this album was their most mainstream successful one where they really were firmly in as close to being sort of a traditional sort of thrash band, I think as, as they would get. Um, and it's a fantastic album. It, my junior and senior year of high school were spent listening to this album hundreds and hundreds of times. So, um, ah, cool. And, and I saw them about a year ago and I'm going to be seeing them as we record this now in about two weeks, I'm seeing Megadeth and suicidal at the house of blues in Boston. So I am, I'm going to be seeing them very shortly and I'm very excited. So this is perfect timing for me. Oh, wow. Awesome. Okay. Well, brilliant. Uh, I'll look forward to that and we'll see you all then. Take care. <laughs>